0: Right eye dominant. 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 This is the right eye dominant podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the right eye dominant podcast. I am your host, as always, Nick Toro Jr. Thank you for joining me today. Today's episode, I'm going to focus on the myth and the reality of Route 66. So buckle your seatbelt and let's go for a ride. So let's jump into today's topic Route 66, the myth and the reality. And there's a few reasons why I want to discuss Route 66. For one, here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, our Central Avenue is Route 66. It's one of the few stretches of the original Route 66 that is still active and an active part of the city. And if you drive down Route 66 in Albuquerque, you'll see little bits of both the myth and the reality that I'm going to be discussing today. And of course, because this is a photography podcast, I'm going to look at it all through the lens of photography. So Route 66, most people probably know it thanks to a really famous song that was written by Bobby Troop, but it was recorded by everybody from Chuck Berry, the rolling stones or if you're my generation you know the version by depeche mode in any event route 66 the song sells this sort of fantasy of jumping in the car and motoring west heading out to california on the highway that's the best right get your kicks on route 66 and for popular culture that definitely is a touchstone And most people around the world, if they do know anything about Route 66, they know the song. So there was also a TV show in the 60s, I believe, uh, called Route 66. It was on for a couple of seasons. As far as Route 66 in literature, there is, of course, The Grapes of Wrath. That is uh, written by John Steinbeck. And it talks about the Dust Bowl era of America and the migration of people from the Dust Bowl area in the Midwest through the Southwest, looking for opportunity and a new life in California, and I'll speak a little bit more about that in a bit. So that's where some of the myth of Route 66 comes from. Now I'd like to discuss a little bit about where the reality of present-day Route 66 comes from. In the 1950s, the U.S. interstate highway system was a huge upgrade and it coincided with the growing car culture that sprang out of post-World War II, a middle class with a lot of spending power, buying cars and having a newfound sense of freedom and emerging from the darkness of World War II and before that, the Great Depression. So it's ironic that the same highway that served as sort of a a migration path for people who were affected by the great depression and affected by the dust bowl as i mentioned the highway itself could not compete with the speed of travel afforded on the interstate highway system and that began the slow decline of route 66 in particular and today we find that there are just remnants of the old highway uh, that can be found along the route from Chicago out to Los Angeles. And as I said earlier, Albuquerque, New Mexico, my town here where I live, has a stretch of Central Avenue that runs 17 miles. And that is the old Route 66. And it does continue heading west or East, depending on which direction you're driving in. And it does go through Gallup, New Mexico, Flagstaff, Arizona. Don't forget Winona. You know the song. I'm not going to sing it for you. But um, what's interesting is that I think that Route 66 in general has this mythology around it. But the reality of Route 66, I think, is really emblematic of American society, its pros and cons for sure our freedom of mobility, but also the weaknesses in our social safety net, and the winners and losers of the American economic system. So I mentioned just a bit earlier, uh, The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck tells the story of Tom Joad as he moves with his family across Route 66, heading towards California to escape the Dust Bowl, abject poverty because of the Depression. And that story was fairly common, and it's a very accurate representation of what was going on in the United States at the time people were piling whatever belongings they had and all of their family into whatever kind of vehicle they could get their hands on and they headed west on Route 66 looking for economic opportunity on the west coast specifically in California and what's uh, very telling about that story specifically in the Grapes of Wrath very accurately shows the challenges uh, and the hurdles and the pitfalls of making that trip on Route 66, but specifically heading towards California, a place of opportunity, these people I would consider they were migrants. They were migrating from a place that no longer was safe or or provided for them, and they were looking for opportunity. Not that different from the people who were heading up from South and Central America, trying to cross our southern border, looking for opportunity, economic opportunity, and stability and safety for their families. It's really not that different. What I find really interesting, though, is if you do some reading on this migration during the Dust Bowl, is that there were actually very um, rigid parameters in place that made it very difficult and unwelcoming for these people to get to their destinations. So, a little bit of this. Deflating of this myth of what Route 66 afforded people if you look at it through that perspective. Another interesting thing that I think about when I think about Route 66 is that, not unlike the interstate system, and if you drive along Interstate 40, which does stretch all the way from the East Coast in North Carolina all the way to California. Um, If you drive along that stretch of highway, and certainly in New Mexico and Arizona, um, you'll see that there's sort of like these road signs and they're billboards for the most part that are just telling you what's coming up at the next exit. And it's usually a Dairy Queen and a place to stay for the night and probably a curio shop that sells knockoff versions of native um, wares. But this all harkens back to the allure of the original Route 66 ...which, you know, if it was a route that you were taking to go to the West Coast... ...you certainly would need to stop for gas, you certainly would need to stop for food... ...you'd need to stop for a place to sleep for the night... ...and all of those locations were trying to entice uh, drivers to stay in a particular town... ...and what better way to do it was this sort of novelty approach of road signs, neon signs that were very popular ethnic themes or regionally themed places to stay some would look at certainly in New Mexico some of the places that you could stay or in Arizona may have been well not may have been they certainly were uh, culturally insensitive to the native people who were living here and whose land uh, these travelers were crossing Uh, and I'm looking right now at the wigwam uh, motel in particular using these sort of native motifs that were this fantasy for people traveling uh, out to the West Coast trying to entice them to stay for the night. Now, if you look at Route 66 today, there are remnants of these signs, although most of them are disappearing. And here in Albuquerque, we do have at least an effort to try to preserve some of the icons or iconic sites and and signage of Route 66. And there are other places along the, the ride out to california that you'll find remnants of the old route 66 and it's always bathed in nostalgia it always has this perspective of sort of like the good old days but you know if we look at things realistically and and dispel the myth again we know that that's not true Um, the 50s certainly when Route 66 was in its heyday, was not the rose-colored version that some people like to remember. There was a lot of repression, a lot of oppression, a lot of racism, a lot of economic disparity. And depending on your skin color or your economic class, I would say that your, your travels along Route 66 may have felt quite different uh, depending on who you were. So as I said, the interstate uh, system pretty much killed off the vitality of Route 66. And what remains now is what I would call just a version of ruin porn, especially if you're a photographer or if you're an artist. There is an allure to this beauty in the wreckage of Route 66. I fall victim to it myself. I've traveled the the road many times and photographed. Uh, It continues to be a draw for photographers and artists of all kinds from all over the world and the idea of the road trip which came into its own in the 1950s mostly through the, the the work of I'd say Jack Kerouac in his his novel on the road but the whole idea of you know jumping in a car and having the freedom to drive anywhere you wanted to, uh, for as long as you wanted to and without, you know, paying tolls on the highway. That's a very American-based fantasy. If you look at what draws people to Route 66 today, they jump on a motorcycle and do their own version of Easy Rider or trying to relive their uh, Kerouac-like fantasies. Route 66 remains very popular in the imagination, specifically of European and Australian visitors to our country. So, what's so alluring about it, I think, is the fantasy of the past, but also, as I said, this idea of sifting through the wreckage. There's something I think that for photographers, it's like, you know, catnip for us if we see an old broken down neon sign or an abandoned gas station in the middle of the desert there's just something that you know makes us want to stop and get out and make photographs of that and certainly there's been many photographers who have done that, and we can go back to. I remember seeing a very early photograph from Life Magazine, which shows this beautiful cloudscape along Route 66 in Arizona. Uh, there's a photograph that's very famous, maybe one of the most famous Route 66 photographs, was taken right here in Albuquerque by Ernst Haas, and it's right on Central Avenue, and it looks like it's either uh, early evening or right after a thunderstorm because the the sky is quite dark. And then because of how he shot the photograph, everything is compressed. So you're looking down Central Avenue, Route 66, and it's just sign upon sign upon sign, neon sign, old cars. I would say it's almost a caricature of what we envision in our minds as this ideal of Route 66. Compare that with, let's say, the photographs of Robert Frank, who I've mentioned in this podcast before, who also did a road trip uh, to do photography around the United States, which we know yielded the book, The Americans. And he did spend some time along Route 66 here in New Mexico specifically. And there's a one of the photos that I'm always struck by in the book, The Americans, is a looks like post- car crash there's i believe it's a body that's covered in a blanket on the side of the highway with a few people standing around it and that's a route 66 photo and you compare that with sort of like the fantasy version of life magazine or the ernst haas photograph and you could see pretty broad range of what one could consider what is the myth and what is the reality of route 66 Of course, other photographers have made their name and their reputation on taking road trips with their cameras. You can go back to Lee Friedlander, who, if you look at a lot of his work, a lot of it is shot from the car or on the side of the road. And many photographs he photographed here in New Mexico, you think of the contemporary uh, master photographer Alex Soth and his book, uh, Sleeping by the Mississippi. Is uh, a quasi road trip photo book as well, and it's interesting that there's this allure of the road trip that remains uh, present, certainly in photographic culture. And I also find it interesting, and I'm saying this as a middle class white male, that it's oftentimes it's people like me who feel that they take this trip and try to document sort of whatever this is, this fantasy of Route 66. We're not. Women, we're not people of color who may not have the same luxury and the feeling of safety. To travel along this, this road and to photograph and document it. And on top of that, and this leads to the book that I want to focus on today, is this idea that Route 66 was considered the Main Street USA, and there's this beautiful sort of allusion to this all-encompassing, all-accepting celebration of the American road that goes along with Route 66. yet just this past weekend it was a particularly gray cloudy winter's day and i decided to take advantage of the diffused lighting to go out and shoot some film along central avenue here in albuquerque all along route 66 and i will say that there are parts of it certainly where nearby where i live that have got bars and restaurants and shops and it still captures some of that feeling that people probably imagine route 66 encompasses yet On the outlying fringes of Route 66, and you don't have to go too far east or west, there are huge pockets of poverty, there are boarded up stores, there are tent cities where homeless people are living on the streets, and... In many ways, it's emblematic of the haves and the have-nots in our country, the haves and have-nots in our economic uh, system, but it's a very sobering way to counteract this fantasy of the neon nights of Route 66 as you drive your convertible and you head west towards... California. Where am I going with all of this uh, cultural socioeconomic talk? Uh, And how does this pertain specifically to photography? Well, I uh, stumbled upon the work of a photographer named Edward Keating. And it actually he a photograph of his popped up on my Instagram feed a few weeks ago. And I was intrigued because they were actually images of Route 66. And then I found out that and this guy Edward Keating has got a very interesting background story which i'll dive into a little bit but he did a project about route 66 and the, the the book is called main street the lost dream of route 66 and what's really interesting is the cover image uh, main street you'll see that uh, that it's typed with the ease backwards and that's an indication of something not quite right on main street usa and if you look at this book, you'll see a direct correlation between the work of Edward Keating and that of Robert Frank. Um, there's definitely an element of the Americans that has leached his way into this body of work. Keating photographed along Route 66, uh, starting, I believe, in the 90s uh, and all through the 2000s. And he does actually, in the book, it sort of makes the, the, the path, the journey from Chicago out to Los Angeles. If you have any illusions about the mythology of this fantasy of Route 66, this book will utterly destroy it. I'd like to read a passage from the afterword in the uh, Keating book. And these are his words, not mine. It wasn't until the turn of the century as staff photographer for the New York Times that I returned for the first time to what John Steinbeck called the Mother Road to photograph the damnable highway that nearly ruined me and somehow saved me. What I saw was devastation everywhere, against everything we had been asked to believe by Washington, D.C., beginning with the Ronald Reagan trickle-down economics, America was not growing stronger, and none of the promised benefits had materialized, at least not between the south side of Chicago and San Bernardino. Instead, the rich got richer and the poor had gotten children and the middle class was dying, its throat slit at the altar of money. And Route 66 was now little more than a catch drain for those who couldn't keep up, its blacktop crumbling along with its people. The people got stuck in place like rocks, having never made it up the hill. I found out, was a very interesting character. Um, he started his photo career. He basically scrapped his way together to become a photographer, a photojournalist in New York. I think he was hustling to get jobs uh, shooting for the New York Times. He first came to prominence because he, I guess, illegally got himself into the... Um, the debris, the the site of uh, the 9-11 attacks at the World Trade Center, and documented that uh, aftermath quite extensively. I did discover that Keating actually won a Pulitzer Prize for that body of work that he shot at Ground Zero. Apparently, he was exposed to toxins being in that environment that caused him to get cancer, and apparently he did just pass away In September 2021, I had no idea about any of this, and it's been really a a revelation to dig through and find out more about the work of Edward Keating. But uh, relevant to this discussion, I would highly recommend getting your hands on a copy of Main Street, The Lost Dream of Route 66 by Edward Keating. I picked up a softcover version brand new for about 30 bucks highly recommend you getting it and think about the sort of the dream of the fantasy of jumping in your car your convertible and riding off into the sunset heading west basking in the glow of the neon signs of route 66 and then compare it to the reality that edward keating shows us in this book So there you have it, my thoughts on Route 66, the myth and the reality, and looking at it all through the world of photography and pop culture. Uh, I'd love to hear what you think about all of this. If you have any comments, feel free to visit my website, of course. It is com. And if you scroll down, there's a uh, comment section where you could send me a message and let me know your thoughts on this and give me feedback about any of the episodes that you hear. I'd love to hear from listeners. Also, there's a way to support the show if you want to buy a t-shirt. I would love that as well. And of course, if you could leave a good review on the platform that you're listening to me on, especially the Apple podcast platform, that would be awesome as well. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Of course, I have been your host, Nick Toro Jr. And until next time, wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and stay well. Today's episode has been a production of RightEyeDominant.art. The music for today's episode was brought to you by Yazar. Lazenby Industries, The Connet Project, and The White Plains. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero.